You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Bart Kaler. Back in June of 2023, there was an excellent conference titled the Hashtag Higher Ed Conference when Bart was joined by two other panelists, and they had a wonderful discussion about generative AI. It was popular. People got a lot from it. So we thought that we would bring them back together here on the Higher Ed Marketer podcast and share some of that same information. So today we are joined by Gil Appel. He is an assistant professor of marketing at George Washington University School of Business and Rafi Dirsimonian, VP and chief strategy officer at ERI Design Incorporated. Bart, I've listened to the original, and I love that panel, but you all did an equal wonderful job today on the podcast. Thanks, Troy. That was a lot of fun. I, I love talking to these guys, and we just uh, we had such a dynamic uh, way of, of communicating on stage at George Washington University. And you know, at that time, we joked about the fact that we were supposed to do an intro for generative AI and chat. GPT in 30 minutes and take questions. And we just did not really have much time to unpack as much as we wanted to. And so this this episode today, I think we're probably about 45 minutes, 47 minutes, a little longer than we typically go. But I think that it gives us an opportunity to really kind of unpack a little bit more about what each of us are thinking, the types of things we're doing. There's a lot of show notes in this one as far as links to some different sites and and, and different folks that we want people to to be able to reach out to. And then we also talked a lot about the, the conference that's going to be coming up, the Higher Ed Marketer Virtual Conference on generative AI and how to use that in higher ed marketing. It's going to be on October 24th. You can go to thehigheredmarketer.com and learn more about that and get your tickets. But just so excited to have these guys back in, back in together. And Bart, I'll just mention that we are recording this in August of 2023. So if you're listening to this in 2024, some of it might have changed. But I think the foundation, the thinking, the approach, I think will still be valid. Here's our conversation about generative AI. Gil and Rafi, we love starting our conversations with our guests out by asking them to share something that they've recently learned that would be considered fun, surprising, or interesting by our guests. So Gil, if I could ask you to share something first. I got to go first. That's always fun. I don't know. As like we say, like things happen so fast in this world. And mm-hmm. I'm working now on a project that I'm trying to understand how people interact with AI platforms. And I downloaded like 250,000 interactions with Midjourney. And I'm seeing like how people choose to move from one picture to the other. And and just observing this, like the, the how people learn and how people use uh, and a generative AI platform is amazing to me. Like their choices and movement. This is beautiful. Uh, so 
What I learned recently is how powerful a new AI tool that I've never used can be, which is Fireflies, a note-taking tool. And Bart, you recommended uh, a peer of Fireflies, I think, a few months ago, and I finally got around to testing it. And wow, really impressive and a time saver. It not only takes notes, but it also synthesizes notes into key action items, which is just such a huge help. So, yeah. We just switched over to Fireflies ourselves because the previous one went out of business. We got an email on Thursday evening one day that said, oh, we didn't get second round funding. Sorry, get your recordings. So that's part of what we'll talk about here is just how volatile this AI market is. So I've seen that happen, actually. So so part of my course and part of like executive stuff I do is like do workshops for marketing executives that want to do no coding analytics. You know, how to get all these access to tools that have like simple GUIs and like double click or, or just look at things and really use their experience and knowledge to, to get so much from what they know and from the tools that are out there. And like every time I do this presentation, like half of the tools are gone because the companies did not get funding or got sold to someone else. Yes, it's like pretty prevalent. We are all together because Bart, Rafi, and Gil were at the hashtag higher ed conference and gave a wonderful AI presentation, which you can find on Bart's YouTube channel and we'll put it in the notes. And Bart wanted to replicate that. Now to the other two, I must say, Bart doesn't mind when I refer to him as a AI geek. And I think from that conversation, both the attendants and anyone that's viewed it came up with a lot of knowledge. The way Bart started that conversation off, I'm going to start that conversation off with a quote from Alvin Toffler. And he said back in 1970, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Now, I know enough about the three of you that you are proponents, you are evangelists, if I can use that term, for AI, and you want to see the adoption of it. So I'm going to step aside and let Bart start off the conversation about how we can elevate this within our higher ed marketing, recruiting, or the higher ed community in general. Yeah. One thing I wanted to just start off with, and Gil, you and I have talked about this via email. I think Rafi, we've, we've mentioned it as well Is just the, uh, when we talk about the Toffler quote with the illiterate of the 21st century, let's talk a little bit about the illiteracy around artificial intelligence. Because I mean, as you all know, I've talked to people and it's, it's sometimes polarizing. It's sometimes people are like, oh yeah, this is great. I want to learn more. Tell me more, Bart. Let's talk about it. And other people are like, whoa, hold on here. What, what is this? I've heard about this. This you know, all I remember is Terminator and all this, this is going to be bad. So, I mean, what are you guys hearing and and how does that play into this whole illiteracy? I know specifically, Gil, I know you've been thinking a lot more about the illiteracy, but Rafi, what are you kind of hearing as you're engaging with different higher ed folks? Yeah, I think there's definitely a palpable recalcitrance that I see from some folks about it in general, that just categorically, they've already made up their mind about it. But with that said, I think folks that are introducing themselves to it are finding its benefit more and more. I'm sure you guys can relate to this, but there's this kind of aha moment that someone who hasn't experienced it yet, when they finally get a chance to see just how powerful 
and its capabilities, I think there's this light bulb moment that everyone has. I'm loving to see that light bulb go off on more and more of my, on top of my colleagues' heads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about you, Gil? What are you kind of seeing and, and how is that playing into what you're learning about the illiteracy? Yeah. So I mentioned, I have a working paper, hopefully by the time it goes out, there'll be more than one. But looking exactly about how AI literacy affects the likelihood of adoption of AI. And what we actually show is that not always high AI knowledge will make you more likely to adopt. So what is the how moment that Rafi says, like, there's a lot of people with lower knowledge of AI that will be really excited and will really feel adopting AI is like magic. And I think that this might accelerate adoption of the population that we're not thinking of. So they're, they're now, at, at this moment, we're blocking their access because they don't know about it. They might fear it. And they and once they see it in action, once they learn more about it, they might be a lot more excited about AI even than you and I will be. Because we know what AI can do. We, we For us, it's not magical. It's like we know how the trick is done. But for an, a large, large audience, you have something that will be like magic for them. It, it will be not just a tool, but an excitement and experience. And this is what I think that we need to bring it to more people. Yeah. And, and I think that we talked about this on stage back in June when we were at, at George Washington University. You know, we did a, we asked the audience, we said, how many people have, have used chat GPT? And unsurprisingly, I think most of the audience, you know, raised their hand. And then when we asked the deeper question of how many of you have subscribed to chat GPT or, or you're you know, paying for the access to the service, you know, we, it went down to about four people out of an audience of about 350 people. And while including the three of us. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that what that told me, and I think we talked about a little bit afterwards is that I think, and it's okay. Cause a lot of people are in this boat. And so I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect anybody who's listening, but if you've went to chat GPT and you've just opened it up and you've typed in, write me a blog post about penguins, you're going to be a little bit disappointed because it's not going to be much more than you're like, it's, this is, it, it seems novel to you. It might seem like a, a novelty that what's the big deal. But I think it's when you start to really understand and go a little bit deeper you, that you're going to get to Rafi's aha moment where, oh, this is more. I mean, I remember for myself back in January and December when I was playing around with it, you know, it was just starting to hit the news. And I was like, oh, what's this stuff people are talking about? And I read a couple things and I was like, oh, I, so I, I, I'll have to go back into my, you know, my history to see what my first prompt was. But I know that my second prompt was to get it to talk like Yoda. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And it was, it was kind of silly. And it was a party trick. But then I think the more I've realized, and we can get into this in a little bit deeper on some of the stuff I've been doing lately that is kind of just blowing my mind on the amount of time I'm saving. Those are the kind of things that I think that until people start to really understand how to start using it and go deeper, that's where it's going to be challenging. Gil, what are you seeing when you talk to people like that? So the aha moment I see with people is their second part. So not the in the same conversation. So once I understand it's a conversational AI, you can say, this was not good. I want it this way. And then you get that the AI is not just something that with an input and an output, it's something that's iterative that you can talk to and get like improve over time. Because a lot of people that are disappointed with ChatGPT that I, I talked to at least, they put a prompt in, they get a result they're not happy with. They say, I'm, I'm not an expert in this and move on. And I think this iterative process is something that once people get to it, it's like their biggest aha moment, at least in chat. And I'm sure that's kind of what you're seeing with the mid-journey research you're doing as well. Oh, I mean, yeah. It, uh... I, I would be like, this is not really on video, but like 
I could have shown you like some images that were mind blowing. And, and you can see how people are, okay, this is not what I want. I want this type. I, I want to focus on this type of art. Uh, and it's really, really interesting to see how people think and how people interact with it. That's great. As I'm sure you have known that the whole idea of artificial intelligence and especially things like chat GPT are really starting to transform higher ed marketing. I really don't want anyone on this podcast to be left behind. So I really want to invite you to join the top minds in higher education at the inaugural higher ed marketer virtual AI summit. It's going to be on October 24th. And in just one day, you're going to be able to discover practical strategies to leverage AI as your marketing collaborator and walk away with a lot of new skills as you do that. During the summit, you're going to learn how to create personalized outreach at scale, streamline content creation, boost your productivity, and so much more. Join Troy and I as we learn directly from innovative leaders and many of those who have been our past guests, including Jamie Hunt, CMO at Old Dominion, Brian Piper from the University of Rochester, and Kyle Campbell, the education marketer. You're also going to be meeting several of our new friends, such as Rafi Dushinin of ERI Design, Dr. Gil Appel of the George Washington University School of Business, Dr. Jules White of Vanderbilt, and Artis Kadu from Element 451 and Austin Marshall on how to use AI for your graphic needs. Seats are limited for this can't-miss event. Visit thehigheredmarketer.com, that's thehigheredmarketer.com, and use code PODCAST for 20% off your ticket. There's also rates available for groups of tickets, so you can find out more at the site. I want you to unlock the power of AI to enhance enrollment, giving, and beyond at your institution. Join us on October 24th. How about you, Rafi? What what are some of the things that you're kind of seeing? Yeah, you know... Gil, you mentioned the iterative process, and I think that's such an important point to emphasize. Similar to working with a colleague, similar to working with an agency or a firm, it requires back and forth to really get it right. So I think to whatever extent folks can get comfortable leaning in, experimenting, pushing it in different ways, and really teasing out some of the usable nuggets and threads that can help elevate what we do, I see this as being one of the big wins. and. You know, this has not changed since we convened in D.C. a few months ago, which is the fact that I see the biggest benefit freeing us up to do more complex tasks, freeing us up to do more meaningful work. And I think for me, that's what gets me excited. And I can see that's also folks that are becoming familiar with it are identifying that. So I I just want to cut in here because it's super interesting. I think like this is exactly where you see what everyone's saying now that AI will not take your jobs or people that know how to use AI will. Because it's those interactions and those things that you're saying, it's all about domain knowledge. If if I go in and ask a chat to to talk about, I don't know, surgery, I might not get good results. But if I ask it to go and talk about stuff that I understand on, I can use it to really accelerate my process. I, the, someone, someone said the chat get like more than half of the programming questions wrong. Yes, on the first try, but if you tell it like, this was wrong, I need this. If you know what questions to ask, then you'll get an amazing result. I, I, I code a hundred times faster and I catch it in doing mistakes all the time. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's one of the things I, I started adopting the, the phrase cobot when I talk to people. Because we're writing a, a blog post that's coming out and my writer actually did the research and found out, you know, the first time that phrase was used and I can't remember who it was or what company, but I, I came across it on a discovery channel, you know, the default DeWalt tool factory, they, they have these three industrial robots that they call cobots because they're collaboratively working with the humans to 
you know, produce these tools. And, and that's one of the things I've helped, tried to help people understand is that, look, this is a tool. It's, it's a tool in the toolbox and it happens to be a very smart tool and it, but it needs to be collaborative to your point, Gil. It's not one of those things that you can just kind of press a button and it's going to just spit out, you know, higher ed marketing. That's like, Oh, wow, that's great. No, it's, it's collaborative. I have to be the one that's kind of teaching it and guiding it along. And it, and it becomes a, it becomes a little bit of a superpower for me because all of a sudden I've got this virtual assistant that can go deep with me on things and actually come up with ideas that I don't even think about that I can then say, okay, I like that one. Let's talk more about that. And that iterative process, I think, is when you get the strongest and, and most valuable results. And I'm sure, Gil, to your point about the programming, that's what you're realizing too. Yeah. It's like it's like more, more like an Iron Man suit than, than a superpower. It's, it's something that you put on you and enhances what you can do. It can be faster, stronger, and better, but yeah. So let's talk a little bit about just some of the things that we're using it for. And I can go first. I, I've, I've been doing a lot of creative art with, with MidJourney, and even, even Canva has some built-in tools. I've been playing a lot with Photoshop Beta. And again, we're recording this in August, mid-August of 2023. So I'm going <laughs> to, so far, we've talked a lot about just some theory type stuff. Now we're going to get into some applications that might not be valuable tomorrow. But I think it's worth at least bringing up some of the things. I'm also using a lot of things as far as, one thing I did yesterday is I, I, I do work with an organization and it's, it's an accreditation organization that lists about 190 schools. And each of the schools have different um, majors available. They have undergraduate, they have graduate. And, and one of the things I wanted to do is I, I have a school that's a member of that organization. It's a faith-based organization. And I said, one of the marketing ideas we had was, okay, you've got this undergrad program that a lot of the schools have, and you offer a graduate program. You're all peer institutions. Let's build relationships with those schools that have the undergrad, but not the graduate level. And so I knew that the data was in there. And the only thing I had available to me was their website that was, you know, I could go in and go deep and, and find that data. So I knew that you could scrape a website, but I didn't know how. So I asked chat, tell me how to, how to, how do I get this data? And it said, well, I can teach you how to do it. And I was like, please do. And so it gave me six points about how to go into Chrome, go into developer mode, go to a certain tab, put this in copy what I found and paste it into simple text. And I was like, and it, and it said, do you understand everything? I said, I'm having a trouble with number eight. So it would go into deeper details. I'm having trouble with this. And then once I was all done, it was like, okay, now do this. And so I did that. And then I took that entire big, you know, .txt file and I threw it into Claude.ai. And I was like, okay, I got all this data now. This is what I want you to tell me. And in three seconds, I had all the schools that offered that undergraduate major that did not have the graduate major, the entire process took me about 20 minutes. And that just blew my mind. And Gil, you might say, oh, I could have done it in five, but... Uh, no, but uh, OpenAI has a, <laughs> Open has, has a web scraper built in now, so... See, I, I didn't even know. I should have asked OpenAI, yeah. could you have that plugin? Yeah. But, but even there, I mean, that just blew my mind that I could learn that skill without, you know, just being taught by some, by, by a generative AI. I know it's it's really impressive. Like I have zero creativity, and for a wonderful project, I'm creating real life images that have like diverse racial profiles of people that we're using to test bias in AI, and we're telling subject that these are real people and they believe them. Like only ten percent think those are not real people, and 
that's something I could have never done before or coding tasks that take would have taken me months. And like, for example, for another project, we're analyzing shopping cart abandonment. Like the first time I analyzed the database like this to make it work and make it fit like the code I needed took me half a year. Now I did it in three days. This is like, it's like unbelievable because I know what I know. I, I know what I need to do. So the thing is, if you don't know what you're doing, it might feed, feed you so much bullshit that you'll make so many mistakes along the way. It's very, very important to, to know what you're doing. Yeah, because that's when you, I think you brought that up at the conference too, Gil, is the fact that you can't just press a button and then just copy and paste it because. Oh my God. You, Someone you asked know, me if they can use it to read essays of students, like applications. This was like the worst question ever, the scariest <laughs> question ever. Cause, yeah. Because, I mean, it does have a, a habit of hallucinating. And if you, people don't know what that means, it means that it just makes stuff up to make it look good. It's kind of that fake it till you make it. These chat tools do that a lot because that's what they're trained on is to just give you the next answer. And sometimes that next answer isn't a correct answer. One, one thing I'm noticing is more and more people are using AI writing tools as in, in lieu of Google and including myself. Um, I'm finding I'm getting more substantive on the nose responses versus having to uh, sift through curated links. You know, many of them are sponsored links. It kind of um, is a much more streamlined way to get quick info fast. Um, you know, I would say um, using it as a writing assistant to help, for example, I will generate a letter and then ask ChatGTP ChatGPT if there's a way to improve the letter for clarity or brevity or reduce word count. Taking a bio and let's say we need a hundred word version of it. I think that's really where it excels in, in uh, tasks of that nature. So I'm saying I'm reviewing academic papers and sometimes I find myself like, this is wrong, this is bad, this is poor. And I go and paste it in chat and say, oh, make it sound less nasty. It's like, or make, make sure the email I'm writing passes this, sends this message, but, but gently. So it's like, yes, but if we continue doing this, will we be able to talk to other people when we don't have chat to filter what we're saying? Exactly, exactly. Well, before I ask you guys, I, I know that we, uh, during the conference, we talked a little bit about how much time we're saving each week. And that's been a popular little, you know, short that I've had going out on, on LinkedIn and things. But before I do that, I want to just plug something that you guys are going to be a part of. And Troy's going to be hosting on October 24th. We're going to have the first higher ed marketer virtual conference. And it's going to be all about using gen generative AI, using AI in your higher ed marketing. And Gil and Rafi and, and Troy and I are going to kind of kick the day off with a conversation very similar to this, but it's going to, it's going to have to be that day because things are going to be changing so frequently. But we also have a number of other people from Old Dominion University, from Vanderbilt, a lot of other folks that are kind of leading the charge in higher education marketing and how they're using AI. And it's going to be very practical and pragmatic. And our goal is that after you spend the day with this eight hours of experts, you can walk away and start saving time each week and start, as Rafi said, focus in on some of those more complex tasks and thinking that, that really uh, free you up on that. So real quick, how much time are you guys saving each week now? So I want to add before that, because I, I went over the program idea. It's like uh, our, our chat in the beginning is nice, but you brought some amazing people to do actual workshops. So what can be, people can actually take it and do. And I think this will be really, really useful for almost anyone. Well, Bart, first of all, I want to say how excited I am for that. And you put together rockstar lineup of folks who are out there using it and can speak with a lot of authority about it. 
and I'm I'm pretty excited to attend and be a small part of it. You know, I think uh, when we first met, I was I think I said five to ten, and I'm going to increase that to uh, ten to fifteen. Um, I think I've gotten better at using it, and I think like anyone, one, the more familiarity you have with it, the more comfortable you become. Um, and the more efficient as a tool it can become. And I love, I got this from you, Bart, but thinking about it as a toolbox and not a tool, once you become familiar about just the breadth of its capabilities, I think it's it's a lot of fun to experiment different challenges with. So, so, so yeah, I, 10 I to have 15. a problem with that question because it's not just time I'm saving, it's also forward-looking. But as I said, sometimes I can save weeks in every week, uh, especially when it comes to code and running very complex code. But if something simple that I did today was going over all my in-class assignments and asking chat to make it more clear, to make it not short, but make it longer, and then going over that text. So I will save time later by students not understanding what I want from them and stuff like that. So it can save you time in the future as well. So by, by streamlining your assignment, by making taking notes and, and getting you to do like a goals and key tasks and stuff like that, it's it's more about more than saving time, but like shifting to a new, you're a new person now. It's like saying, how much time does a car saves you when you had to walk before? Then it goes back to what you said earlier about the Iron Man suit. I mean, Tony Stark doesn't measure what he's doing and how many hours he saved each week. It was what he can do now that get ex- exponentially you know, more powerful because he has that suit on. And I think that's probably a better way to look at it is like, you know, yes, I, I save, you know, 10, 15 hours a week, kind of like what Rafi said, but I'm also saving, like you said, the future time, because how much time would it have taken me to find that research, you know, in, in what I did, or how much would it have cost me to hire somebody who knew how to scrape to do that, to write the programming. And so had an idea that I wanted to communicate to them about how they could do some, you know, enrollment marketing. And it was an idea about, you know, using a, I'll just throw it out here because it's, it, I think it's useful to understand. I had an idea for, you know, leasing an RV, putting a wrap around it and driving it to high school football games for tailgating, you know, in the, in the fall. And we were going to do, you know, I was like, yeah, you could do, you know, bring students with you. You can grill, you can do all this stuff, make it a party. And so I took it into mid journey and I wrote a prompt and I said, show me this. And I wrote a prompt of it, you know, show it at golden hour at, at, you know, in the evening. And I, and so it generated this beautiful RV of these people standing around with, with, you know, eating and having a tailgate party with all the school colors. I took it into Photoshop, put their brand mark on it on, you know, on part of the RV. And in 10 minutes, I was done with a very clear visual representation of the idea. You know, back in the day, you know, as a designer, I'd have to pull up my markers. I would do a sketch of it. I would marker it up. I would go and copy it. I'd scan it into my computer. I'd put it into my computer. I'd clean it up. It might've taken me three or four hours to get a really nice comprehensive idea on paper. But again, 10 minutes and people got it. I mean, it was like, they were excited. It's like, oh yeah, we understand exactly what you're talking about. So there's just uh, so many different ways that, that, that goes out that way. I totally agree. There are so many things you can do. And like the, the beautiful thing about it is like, it's just, it's just evolving. It's just like changing. And now if you're unhappy with ChatGPT and you're saying it's getting dumber, then you can go to Cloud, you can go to Bard, you can go to Bing, you can go to like a thousand other solutions that are out there. And there are, you're starting to get more and more dedicated niche AIs that will be like really experts in the field that you're interested in. 
it's just like the thing is taking the time sometimes you know it's not about saving time it's like sitting like for half an hour now thinking where i can take it what can i do with this now yeah i've been following an expert on instagram his name is justin feinberg young guy really kind of dove in deep on it and he actually has uh, put together a product called cassidy.ai or cassidyai.com and we just subscribe to it and basically what allows us to do is we can upload our entire blog we can upload all of the white papers we've done all of our hr materials everything that we have as a company kaler solutions we upload it in there and then we can create master prompts I can even upload my writing style and it trained, it's trained on my writing style. So if some of my staff needs to say, oh, I need to write a quick email draft for Bart, it's written in the style and tone that I typically write in. And so it's becoming a hub that the rest of our team can go into to use, you know, use these tools, ask questions, say, hey, what's our vacation policy? Or, hey, give us three blog posts that Bart's written about, you know, this subject. Because, I mean, there's like 600 blog posts now. This is a really quick way for us to kind of have a hub on that. And that's the kind of safe that, you know, what you said, Gil, with having specialized tools. I mean, I've got a specialized tool just for my company now. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're going to see kind of coming out. Yeah, but I want to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm doubted because, like, you're going to the things that the writer guilds are, are crying now that they'll be replaced. You'll, you'll train everything on. So, why do we need you now? I have all your posts, I have all your writing. <laughs> Maybe that's what my team will say. <laughs> <laughs> or I can look at it to yeah. say what, you know, you know one, I don't one, need to be as deep on some of that stuff. And that changes. I mean, it, it's, it is that double edged sword that we'll get to talk to about in a second. Rafi. No, I was just going to say one further thought that I've had since we last convened. Uh, this goes out to the naysayers, the, the haters out there. And there are many that I've come in contact with regularly about AI, is that it's going to lead to this intellectual atrophy over time. And it's my belief, the more that I get to use it and understand what it can do, is that to really leverage it and harness it for forward movement and elevation in the work that we do. It's about plucking the meaningful, the good nuggets and themes and threads. And I think that's the type of thing where that's where we rely on our experience and, you know, our expertise and what sets us apart as a professional, being able to know what's worth pulling from it. Let's say you say, chat GPT, give me 10 headlines. You should know, you know, if one of them is the right one, or if maybe it's a combination of three of them or none of them. And I think it's just, it helps you uh, along in the process. I, don't, I totally agree. Uh, but the, it, it does streamline things. So the thing is you want, and th this is different questions of where universities should go now with this, right? Like, what are we teaching? I told you before, I'm going, I, when I go into class now, I opened ChatGPT before saying anything. I asked it write a, create a digital marketing course for me and can create the syllabus and the slides and the materials and the rubrics and the assignments. And, and the, you know, if you take the transcript of the slide, you can put it in the a video AI, like Asia or what Camtasia, forgot the name, never mind. And it, it will create a video of the course. So, and I tell the students, okay, so why do you need me? And here's come the question. This is where you start your earning your pay. In a world like this, you know, if I cannot do a lot better than this, if I cannot tell, teach my students why knowledge is important, why asking the right questions 
is much more important than what kind of tool you're using. Because tools change all the time. But first of all, humans don't change that fast. Human psychology does not change that fast. Consumer behavior does not change that fast. And, and like, we need to work on those basic principles, but know how to adapt them, know how to modify our questions and modify what we're doing. We can work a lot faster, but we will work a lot smar smarter or else we won't have a job. I would love to hear from the three of you if there are any examples of successful higher ed executions and governance that you could point our listeners to. Yeah, so I, I mentioned it before in the past. So there's Ethan Mollick and Wharton that shared, I think, three guides to professors and educators that want to, first of all, implement ChatGPT and other tools in class and how to deal with students and assignments in those cases. Bruce Clark from Northeastern also shared several very interesting examples. And in my case, like I'm going back to Scantrons, you know, going back to the 70s. And I'm doing a two quizzes now, pen and paper, that you know, students will not have those tools. And let's see what you're doing now. Because as educators, we need to examine our students in the class. So and how they'll deal with real world situations. So sometimes you'll have to draw the, the conclusions from your from your own mind, and sometimes you'll have the entire set of tools to use. So in other assignments, they can use anything as long as they provide resources and as solutions. So I think as professors and educators, we need to, to combine all those things together, both recall, the unassisted recall, and assignments that use all the plethora of tools. Because we cannot say, oh, this is unconvenient for us as professors to grade, so you cannot use it. It reminds me, our, our high school our elementary teacher that, that said that, oh, you will never have an, a calculator in your pocket at any time. But uh, now we do. And now we have chat at any time. So this, is, this changes. I, I work for the last week and more on just adapting my syllabus. And, and assignments that usually just take changing the dates. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's changing so much. Rafi, how about you? What are some of the things that you're seeing as far as schools or, or examples in higher ed that are, you know, working this, this through? Yeah. So what I've observed so far is that there's still a big fat question mark around this for the most part because it's so new. I think a lot of institutions are still very much getting their footing on an official institutional positioning. With that said, I know that Google released a set of parameters and at least some framework for what folks might consider in developing a policy. And, you know, they're looking at things like social responsibility, accountability, privacy, ethics. So I think all that to say, it remains to be seen. I see it being an opportunity for inclusive conversation campus-wide. Obviously, faculty are going to be, at, they're going to want to be at the heart of that and rightfully so. I think it's an opportunity for conversation and for folks to uh, learn about it and have some spirited dialogue around it. Yeah. And I know that for, from the execution standpoint, you guys both talked a little bit about governance and some of the other things, but from the execution standpoint, and again, that goes back to a lot of the people that are going to be on the, on the conference. I know Jamie Hunt, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, she is using it from a you know, a leadership perspective from an administrative perspective of just, you know, what are some, help me with the job descriptions, help me with questions for my interviews, help me with some of the planning for my team and, and questions and things like that. That again, it goes back to each seat on the team. How can you use it in different ways? And, you know, I did a great course of certification with Jules White from University of Vanderbilt and he, he did a prompt engineering course that I took on Coursea. And, 
and really learned a lot of things, learned more about the titles of some of the prompts that I was doing. But I think it also was one of those things that kind of gave me a deeper understanding to kind of see somebody who's doing it and, and understand that better. And and I think also just there's all kinds of people that are kind of exploring that. Brian Piper, uh, co-author of Epic Content Marketing, he's at the University of Rochester. He was on the podcast and I know he's utilizing AI and a lot of that content development and drafts and social media. And and so he'll be on the conference as well. But I think that it's still, we're just starting to scratch the surface of how higher ed and higher ed marketers are starting to plan this. I mean, keep in mind, it's really only been in the news cycle for six months to eight months. And it's um, a lot's changed even in that time. So I, I think I mentioned it in the conference and I, I say it again and again, because again, I, I told you some people are starting to avoid me because that's all I talk about. But and <laughs> I, I think universities are, especially when you come to market universities and, you know, people will ask, why do I need this? Why do I need to go to college today? And I think, I think that it's, it's so important to go to college today, especially for this holistic approach of education, especially for the fact that you get to learn the things that will create a baseline and better thinker, better prompter, if you will, for the future. And uh, unless universities will find a way to discuss this, like someone else might steal it. And like you might see Google University or, or whatever, or OpenAI University, and like universities might be labeled, you're old and irrelevant, but we're more relevant than ever. You know, English lit is more relevant than ever now. It's funny, like all those things are much more relevant than they used to because some stuff like you know programming might not be as relevant as it used to because it can do this but like thinking critical thinking doing all those things is like has never been one other thing that you mentioned at the conference was the notion of future proofing and would like to know what you mean and what what we should do or you know what we should look to three months down the road six months down the road please explain future proofing so when I think about future-proofing, I go back to Gil's notion of the value of an education. And yes, you could just take YouTube classes, but it's at the end of the day, there will never be a substitute for that experience, eyeball-to-eyeball connection in the classroom. And I see an opportunity for higher education to step up to the plate in future-proofing the next generation of the workforce and getting them comfortable making sure that they understand the power and how these tools can be used to the benefit of whatever our respective professional pursuits are. That's what I think of with future-proofing. Bart, what do you, what's, what's your take on future-proofing? So I, I agree with you. I would even expand it out to just the, the civics. I mean, I remember when we were in high school, you had to take civics. And, you know, and I think that you know, years ago, I think the idea of education being to prepare a a society was a lot more important. I think of, as of late, we've been more focused on career outcomes and, and financial outcomes and, and those types of things, which is, which is certainly important. And that's a lot of what drives the market. But I think that part of what we're going to have to do is start to identify how it's going to impact our society, how it's going to impact us as living together in a culture, in a society. And those are deeper questions. When that quote that you read at the beginning, Troy, that from Alvin Toffler, it comes from the book Future Shock. And I, I, I knew that it came from that, you know, he wrote, a, he was a futurist. And so he wrote about the future. The book was written in 1970. 
And so I listened to it on Audible the last couple of weeks. And it just, I mean, some of the stuff that they talked about just made me cringe. I mean, you know, the way we talk about, you know, DEI or, or, or different things today was very different than what they talked or even wrote in academic books in the 70s. And so once I got past all that, and he was talking about how he kept calling it a new industrial age. Well, we know that it's turned into a knowledge age as opposed to what they thought back then was going to be another industrial age. But I think a lot of what he talked about was just this idea of things are going to change and how do we adapt and how do we get ready for those types of changes? I mean, he had predicted that within 25 years, by 1995, we would be living under the ocean, that there would be colonies of people living under the ocean. Well, certainly there are not cities under the ocean right now, but it, it, so you have to kind of get past that. But it's the idea that a lot of what he was talking about was actually giving some thought and some pause to actually consider what the future looks like. I mean, to future-proof how you can, you know, stay up stay abreast of, of AI, that's, I mean, you just have to be a part of it. You have to be doing it every day. And it, that's the best way to stay a part of that. But I think as far as the, the bigger issues on how does that impact us as humans and, and, and a society, I think those are the things that we have to actually, you know, that's why we can let the tools do the things that we can then give more thought to those types of things, as opposed to be just being driven. So this how about you, I, was, I was so concerned when you mentioned Google as trying to lead the conversation on like the rules and regulations. Because look, those are people with a lot of interest and a lot of money into it. When we know that when money is involved, ethics go away. And we we mentioned that how long it took the Surgeon General to share some insights on social media, like twenty years or fifteen years it took them. And we would really need the government to. I, I don't want to say intervene, but like know what's going on. The, you know know what the tools are out there, know what they can do, and and make sure that, if, so people mention often that it's the great equalizer. It's not the great equalizer. It's going to be worse than that. It's going to be its exact opposite because people who are, have some affinity to those tools, usually those are people who are more affluent or more healthy or more like belonging to the right and wrong uh, classes. Those are the people that are going to use it more and get more opportunities. And for them, $20 is not a lot to spend on, on monthly GPT access. And while other people, for them, $20 is like, do I get to work or not today? And I really wish I would have had the opportunity to, to introduce these platforms to, to those people and to give more opportunities to, to teach everyone how to use them. Um, as we bring the episode to a close, Gil and Rafi, I would like to ask you if there is a final thought or maybe a piece of advice that you would offer someone that maybe isn't utilizing the technology or adopting the technology as well as they could or should be, something that they could do immediately to move the needle or to have a, a, a great effect on their future with generative AI. So I would recommend, first of all, touch with, touch with me on LinkedIn. Ask me questions. I, mm. I, I, I talk a lot. That's all I do. And, and, <laughs> and I really, I get a lot of people asking me questions on those things, and I love to share. You know, within my limited time, and I do post on LinkedIn on those things, and, and Bart does and Rafi does, like, follow those people that already, like, disseminated the information for you and, and analyze what's important and what's not, because 95% of what's out there is bullshit today. Mm. 
So sending them on their own to try, it's probably not the best idea. Talk to someone who adopted it. They'll save you so much time, and time is of the essence here. Because mm. if you're going to wait a month or two, if we're going to release this the, in a month from now, if you're going to make wait that month and not do anything and want to start learning from yourself or on your own, and things continue to grow exponentially, you'll be left behind so far, it won't matter. So talk to people. And again, I think we're all, as you say, evangelists. I, I, I just say we're excited and happy about this. And we're happy to share. We're happy to talk about this. We're happy to share examples. Like, I, I think those are the way when you can catch up instead of yep. like trying to do it on your own. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Rafi. I completely agree. I, I think... On your behalf as well. I, 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 I volunteer you as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, please, by all means. I would, would love to always enjoy uh, this conversation. It's so exciting just how quickly it's changing and how it's impacting so many areas. It's not just our field. And that's one of the things that I'm constantly shocked by, just how many different areas of the market this ripple effect is, is reaching. I think my biggest takeaway, Troy, is to experiment and get to know it and familiarize yourself with what it can do and to ask questions. I think so much of you know, success is asking the right questions. And I think ChatGPT, AI in general, gives us a really unique outlet to have a new type of dialogue. I'm really excited about what this means in terms of the future of our work. You know, for me, and I know everyone is in the same boat, time is of the essence, right? I've got a young family, I've grown a business. So any tool, any edge that we can integrate into our workflow to improve what we're doing, improve the quality of our lives, I'm all about it. I worry about the next generation. I have kids in college now. I'm teaching kids in college. How do I make sure they'll succeed in life? They'll get a job. They won't be replaced by someone who teaches, knows AI. Thank you for those final thoughts. And yes, we're going to put each of your contact information within the show notes. So Rafi and Gil, thank you so much for sharing your time you and your wisdom. Story. Thank you. So thank much you, Troy. Thank you, Bart. Yeah. It was amazing meeting you again, Rafi. Like, thank you so much. Likewise. Great to see you guys. Yes. Bart, what are your final thoughts? Just a couple final thoughts. Just to echo exactly what Gil and Rafi said is, is experiment play with it, get immersed in it, you know, ask questions, don't do it alone, figure out where some people, you know, right now you have three people here that have said that they're willing to do it. Come to the conference. I mean, you know, come to the conference and hear what other people are doing learn how to actually do it. It's going to be very practical hands-on. If anybody's going to be at the, the ABHE enrollment conference in the 1st of October, I'm going to be doing an after hours where back at the hotel, I'm going to just spend an hour, two hours, just walking through how I'm using and just hands-on training. And so there's a lot of opportunities there, a lot of chances for you to learn that. And again, I think that, you know, if nothing else, I would tell you just, you know, it, it's kind of like jumping into the pool in the middle of the summer. It's going to feel cold if you put tip your toe in, but if you cannonball in, you'll be okay. And it'll warm up really quick. So I would just encourage you to do that. And uh, really, again, thanks so much, guys. It's been a blast talking with you today. Thank you, Bart. Also, thank you to our producer, Rob Conlon at Westport Studios. The Higher Ed Marketer podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and by Ring Digital, accurately and precisely connecting colleges directly to devices of their prospects, inquiries, and alumni on their most valued physical mailing lists. On behalf of my co-host, Bart Kaler, I'm Troy Singer. Thank you for joining us. 
You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time. Oh,